0: What is going on, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Rock bottom, great foundation for a skyscraper. My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, have you hit rock bottom yet? No. You just started the bomber. You're fine.
1: That's right. Yeah, I'm like halfway through. <laughs> 2 p.m. on
0: a Friday through. is not rock bottom. Like 4 <laughs> p.m. on a Friday is. That's true. Oh, man. Uh, What are you drinking?
1: It is another grim. Okay. Um, my friend got me like a pack of four bombers and they just have like beautiful labels. And the beer, this one is, is it, a beautiful tasting beer.
0: Because you said the last Grim you had, you weren't really feeling it, right?
1: Yeah. I, I guess I'm not much of a blondie type beer guy. Okay. Uh, I like more like thicker, darker barrel age dish type things. Gotcha. Um, this so, one's, like
0: the opposite of me.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, which is which is why we have, we have good contrasting beer tastes. At least we have that.
0: <laughs> that is true.
1: But this is a grim with two M's, double negative imperial stout.
0: Ooh, double negative. That makes it positive.
1: Um, that's right. It's positively delicious. There you go. It's got bitter chocolate, dark fruit. <laughs> it's won some awards apparently.
0: Ooh. The my mom's awards. favorite beer brewed by a son of mine award. <laughs> 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 I'm drinking some artisanal uh, tap water mm. in a stainless steel bottle that has fallen off my bike a few times, so it is very dinged up. Oh, but, dude,
1: you know what? My cat mm. also drinks out of stainless steel.
0: Yeah? Are you calling me a cat? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm okay
0: with that. That's fine. Oh, my God. All right, so we have like this really nice window looking out of our apartment,
1: mm.
0: and it has a lip on it. That's like a good eight or nine inches uh, from the window, like sticking out. And your apartment has this too. Yeah. And your cat always goes on it to look out the window. So Mm -hmm. I always thought when we moved in, I was like, oh, Arwen's going to go on that thing and look out the window. It's so interesting out there. And she never did. And I was just thinking, I guess she doesn't care about the outside. (laughs) But I, I have come to the realization that I think she doesn't believe the window is there and she's scared that she's going to fall. So I put this, what do you call one of those things that goes with a chair that you put your feet up on? Ottoman? Yeah, an Ottoman. I just put the Ottoman there and I put her favorite stupid blanket that she's just basically turned into nothing but cat hair at this point on it. Mm-hmm. And now she just sits up there all day and stares out the window.
1: That's it's awesome. her favorite spot. We installed that cat bed thing in the window you saw that like, oh, changed yeah. Abby's life
0: is it one of the ones that sticks to the window or is it something that is attached in a different way?
1: It it like, uh, I guess sticks and it has like a kind of arm that goes down. So it like, uh, props it up on the wall on the inside.
0: So it does get propped up.
1: Yeah. Okay. Did have to like screw it into two places. Um, Well, yeah,
0: I went on Amazon and I typed in cat window bed and I, all I saw were these Weird beds that you use the suction cup things to stick them to the window. I don't trust that. I, I No, that would... I don't trust those at all.
1: <laughs> right? Anna like, has what this
0: kinda... stained glass piece that she made, and it doesn't weigh very much at all. And she said, I want to attach this to the window with one of those suction cup things. And I said, look, I've seen those suction cup things work, but I've also seen them fail. Mm. And I don't want your stained glass just falling off the window and shattering everywhere in a few months when I'm yeah. least expecting it. <laughs> 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 so yeah the no no sticky window things I don't know it never works in the shower so I don't trust it on the window
1: except for bird feeders because they're birds and, and they got that shit under control
0: I guess so years yeah. of
1: evolution with you know
0: so we are here today to talk about the robot overlords yes I for one welcome the coming of the robot overlords <laughs> I will be a great robot servant but no, we want to talk about the future of work because work is changing. Um, there's a great video that I watched a couple of years ago. It's called "Humans Need Not Apply" by CGP Grey. Mm. It's probably the I also watched that today, but also maybe most depressing video that you'll watch on this topic. Mm. Uh, basically, the point of that video and something that anybody who thinks that uh, our current state of technological change is just another iteration of every other one that's happened throughout history. The point that they need to learn is that through every other stage of history, when jobs have been displaced by technological innovation, it has always been an innovation that helps with the physical work that we mm. do. So we've been augmenting our bodies and maybe making our body's ability to do work obsolete in certain ways, such as like, using specialized robots, right?
1: Like, like the bicycle, for example. You are still moving, but now yeah. just much faster and more efficiently than before.
0: Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your different types of plows. Mm. Uh, you know, it used to be like the first type of plow was just almost like a big rake, and you could do it by yourself and you could do it with one horse. And then they invented this much better type of plow, at least for certain regions, but you needed like a team of horses to pull it because it required a lot more force. So now you couldn't just be the singular little farmer, you had to have community pulled resources so you could all like put your horses together and plow each other's fields with this one different plow. So all throughout history, as technology, uh, technology has changed, it's just been an augmentation of work. There's always always been a job kind of higher up the brain power ladder for people to ascend to.
1: So perhaps, I think it's it's fair to say that we've been replacing manual work. Yes. But we, and then we've, in turn, gone to do more mental work.
0: Yes, exactly. What's happening now is we're starting to automate the thinking. We're starting to build Mm. robot brains that can do mental work better than we can. Most trading is now done by algorithms and high frequency trading computers. Um, And you know, you read crazy stories about these giant trading firms buying up uh, space so they can put a high frequency trading computer Mm. just like maybe a few blocks closer Not to where the exchange blocks, like is or something a few so meters. the yeah so it's like a, the the fiber optic uh t- time delay is less crazy stuff like that that humans cannot compete with and i've seen examples of um, an algorithm that can write a story about a sports game that happened and then you can compare ones that have it against
1: composed music yeah. art but but i also want to say like Um, we've also in, in kind of like researching this stuff, we've realized that even many of the more complicated tasks that we thought were only relegated to humans are actually a lot of simple tasks that could individually be automated and then collectively controlled like flying an airplane, like landing it, for example, and stuff like that.
0: Mm -hmm. And so the, I guess some people are going to say, we're all going to lose our jobs to robots. And maybe that's going to happen. Um, Something that was more realistic, but just as depressing to me, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about this very thing. And their point was, it seems like the progress in building automated brains, not necessarily general artificial intelligence, but um, very smart algorithms, has been much better than the progress in building flexible robots bodies. So while we have very specialized robots that can carry out physical tasks like assembling cars, we don't yet have a good robot that can walk down an aisle and go pick a bunch of different shaped things off of a shelf and collect it. So Enter Boston Dynamics. Well, there is the Boston Dynamics backflipping robot thing that we will definitely link to in the show notes and Mm. we can all get afraid about how the robots are going to gymnastics us to death. But (laughs) what I was reading about is how Amazon now directs their employees in some cases, they'll give them a headset, and it'll say, "Go to this place." Or in a lot of times, this robot will bring the shelf to them, and, and then it will time it, them. It will time them. But this this was like the really depressing thing to me. It it doesn't say, "Okay, you need to pick nineteen of these items off of the shelf and put them in the basket so we can go ship them." It'll say, "Select five of these items." Okay, now select five. Okay, now select five. Okay, now select four (laughs) because it's uh, a lower margin of error. Ah. But that's like the thing that scares me is are we going to become essentially bodies for a robot brain that are just being told go select five, then five, then five, then four? Is that the future?
1: Well, no, because they'll make robot bodies that are also like subject to less margin of error than us.
0: Yeah, that's um, but, probably true. But
1: I don't want this to be a depressing episode. I kind of want to like, lay out the facts, and then I want to discuss the future, because I think that there is definitely a future. Yeah. And and actually, next, the episode after this one will be one of those potential futures that we will not name. But uh did a ton of research on this, and I think one of the things that's really staggering, uh, and, and I, I highly suggest that you check the show notes out like during the episode, after there's like graphs, all this stuff we're including. But to, to kind of kick this off, Oxford did uh, a study and they believe that in the next 25 years, 47% of all jobs will disappear. And you're like, well, that's like insane. And I mean, maybe it is insane, but if only half of that happens, and if we only lost like 20 to 25%, of all jobs. That is essentially what the great depression was. That would be
0: 25% unemployment. Is that what it was?
1: Yes. And so that would be insane. So in, in like a more rosy in like a very rosy scenario, and Oxford is, is a great university. It's a top in the world. A rosy version of that would be equivalent to the great depression. And if it was on the nose, it would be far worse every other person that you know wouldn't have a job or would it, I'm sorry, not wouldn't have a job. Wouldn't have the job that they have today.
0: Yeah. So I guess that's, that's the question. Like, where do we go from there? Because I suppose what's becoming more and more clear is that we're not just, we're not just automating jobs that are going to displace people and allow them to go do a different kind of job. What worries me is we're getting to the point where we're creating a world where there's going to be large portions of the population that can't find work unless we find a way to create more opportunities that aren't necessarily needed for sustenance. Like what happens when you get to the point where you automate both the physical and the mental work to the point where there's, there isn't a job out there for, you know, one out of four people.
1: Well, so so I don't know. And, and I think to a degree, we're going to cover that with universal basic income. But I think the good news is that in most cases, and we're going to talk about self-driving cars and you know why uh, retail will not be a thing like it is now. In, in most of these scenarios, we're talking about like 2020 to 2025 to 2030 is like kind of the range when this stuff is happening. And so if you're listening uh, in 2018, uh, when this goes live, that means that you have some time to perhaps do something to A, position yourself so that you're not of the first redundant, um, or B, uh, focus on building your wealth so that uh, when and if the shit, the proverbial shit hits the fan, you are perhaps the ones that could afford the robots that exponentialize your abilities and are not the ones that are working for the the at least initial controllers of the robot overlords.
0: Yeah yeah, exactly so let's let's talk about some of the industries that are going to be disrupted here and you talked about self-driving cars. This is probably the one that I think about the most because if if I'm not wrong, isn't some sort of transportation like the top job in most states. Yeah.
1: At least here so, in the US. So so I I I mean, I guess it's not like funny. I just didn't even know that uh the vast majority of states, truck driver is the top profession. Mm. You know what the top profession is in California? Truck driver. Um it's literally uh one of very few states that has top profession of like software developer is Washington. Oh wait, not I just me. found your map.
0: Wait, is, is Utah's top profession seriously software developer?
1: Yeah, wow. I, I guess. Yeah, um, maybe just because so many, so few people actually live there and then it's major cities. And, and we'll talk about major cities. Texas, top job, truck driver. Maine, truck driver. Yeah, that's like
0: a huge percentage of the nation. That's
1: the top job. Illinois, Washington. I mean, like, it's like an insane, like, the graphs in the show notes, and you should like look at this and absorb it. And so um if you look and and we, I have like all this stuff sourced so you can like check my sources. I don't know if you believe in the the fake news or whatever. These are essentially like facts so um, whatever. Yeah. Um 3.5 million people in the US are truck drivers. 8.7 million people work directly in the industry supporting them in some fashion and then there are, you know, rest stops or gas stations, or just even the places that these truck drivers go to spend the money that they made truck driving, with these will all be affected. Right. So but we could at least say that 8.7 million will be directly affected if truck driving is no longer a viable profession. And that amounts to just shy of six percent of the US. Yeah. Well six percent of the US workforce who people who have jobs.
0: That's a huge percentage. And that reminds me, literally last night, Anna was showing me an article that uh, Tesla is coming out with a semi. Mm. And I was looking at their website the other day, and I noticed that on the Model S page, you can buy full autonomous feature, like a a feature set. Mm -hmm. And I guess right now the laws won't let it work. But I've heard there's like this there's basically like a scale for the degree to which um, a self-driving car can drive autonomously. Mm -hmm. And Musk claims that it's basically level five, like it can drive in pretty much all conditions with a greater degree of safety than the human driver. Most of the people agree that it's at least level four, which is like most conditions. And of course, that same software can be put into a semi. Mm. So if they just came out with them, like we're getting pretty close to the point where um, you know, Walmart and Target and all these big distributors or all the trucking companies are going to be able to start buying autonomous vehicles.
1: And you know what's interesting? So, so they look at like Uber and like to replace an Uber and like say it's in like New York City. That's like the, I guess, level five because there's like people crossing the road, there's human drivers, there's like all kinds of weird shit happening like live in the city. Yeah. But um, the easy one and, and the, the first milestone for most companies is, is highway driving, which is the vast majority of truck driving. And it so happens as of recording today, there are actually autonomous trucks that are doing long hauls. And what they do is when they're approaching the point, there's there's two, there's two types. There's one where they're approaching the point where they leave the highway. It attempts to notify the driver who's in the cabin currently. So there
0: is, there is a, there's still a driver in it.
1: Yeah, so there's still a driver in it and attempts to notify the driver. That they have to basically like wake up or whatever to get off the highway. And if the driver doesn't respond, it essentially just pulls over onto the side of the road. So that's one. Oh, and there oh is wow. A, it looks and like. There's a,
0: yeah, I just found an article about that. Frigidaire appliances are being shipped by these semi autonomous
1: trucks. And there's another right one, which is essentially the other half of the equation is there is this company in Silicon Valley that hires software developers and they hire truck drivers and the truck drivers drive from the same office that the developers are in via cameras mm. and whatever. And so it essentially is automated through the highway leg. And then the truck drivers take over like a video game to bring it through the streets to the final destination. Okay. And but
0: there, so there's still a truck driver in the truck the whole time at this point,
1: right? But now you could have one truck driver potentially manning multiple vehicles because they're not all entering city and whatever like high oh, density so situations at the same time. So imagine you had three. Wait, did, trucks, you,
0: did you say that it's a person who is at a control, like a remote control station,
1: kind of like how they would drive a drone, right? It's like oh, someone. So they're, in not, a, they're not in the truck. They're not in the truck. Okay, so I, it's I didn't being catch controlled you say remotely. that. And so the concept is that like if you have 10 trucks, maybe one or two are at the point of city and most of them are just long haul and it doesn't require anyone to do anything. So they have few experienced truck drivers and literally the truck drivers are there and it's it's like kind of whatever. So these software engineers can watch them and yeah. learn and automate it. So it's like almost like so a stepping stone.
0: From a job perspective, I mean, that's definitely going to cut jobs. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, from a quality of job perspective, that actually sounds pretty good, at least while it lasts, because if you're a truck driver doing that kind of a job, you don't have to be gone from your family for multiple nights in a row. You can go to work at an office, basically drive the trucks remotely when they get into the cities and come home at night. Like that honestly sounds like a pretty cool system. I mean, the only problem is that, like you said, it's a stepping stone and And we're moving close to that level five automation at some point.
1: In in this in between zone between today and we get all autonomous trucks, uh, the the need for trucking is increasing, and there is a severe shortage of truck drivers. Because right first now? of all, yeah, because it's it's essentially an old thing. No one knew is like going into it, and so the mm. salaries are actually rising for truck drivers in this intermediary period. And I I mean like it's a trap.
0: It's a trap. It's you. You think it's a trap
1: because you're gonna go into career driving trucks for like three years, and I guess I guess you'd do well, uh, but then you're also like the job pretty much requires you to be on or like looking, so you can't even like learn and prepare to position yourself out.
0: Well, I mean it's the same thing is true of working at Amazon. <laughs> you know, if you're working in the one of the distribution centers and you've got mm-hmm. the headset on that's telling you to pick five things like. I don't think but, they're letting you listen to a podcast to learn something in the other ear.
1: Right, but but um, would you say that's the, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a solution, and I don't know if I would recommend that as like, well, just working in an Amazon warehouse because they're just blowing up. Well, I don't
0: recommend that, but I'm saying it's it's pretty unrealistic to to say like, oh, everyone out there needs to go find a job where you can be learning what it takes to leave your job while you're on the job. No, that's no, no. That's really I, tough. I, I've only had like one like... job in my life where I could actually do that.
1: I agree. I assume like there's few if any that will allow that, but I think uh, from from my limited understanding of not doing the job, it's it's a very high time requirement. And mm. actually, they often are like doing drugs and stuff to stay awake to drive longer because I guess the faster you get there, the more you make.
0: Yeah, I mean, my brother's a truck driver, actually, so he does this and he goes to different states sometimes and stays overnight there uh and yeah it is tough but he also works on personal projects and stuff so i don't want to say like if you're a truck driver there's no opportunity to be learning and it is very possible that while we have these transition periods those are going to be pockets of opportunities that people will want to take advantage of because they're going to need to
1: yeah and you know truck driving right now is a high-paying job especially Mm -hmm. based on the requirements like of the jobs, like I would say Amazon warehouse is far below in terms of compensation than yeah. being a truck driver, but it shouldn't lull you into like a sense of security.
0: Yeah, that's true. So I was, I was trying to think, did you happen to come across any sort of like list of jobs that are at high threat of automation besides for trucking?
1: Why, yes, I did, Thomas.
0: Okay. I actually, I wasn't leading you on. I didn't, oh, I, didn't okay. I literally didn't know. Um, I just, so, I keep seeing all these one, like single focus categories where I'll see that, oh, they work, they work like Burger King or McDonald's is working on this amazing burger making machine that can make you a burger any which way you want. And it'll never spit in your food. And you know, that, you know, in 10 years, you're going to walk into a McDonald's and there might be one person cleaning it, but that's the only human employee there. But what I'm interested in is what, Like, can we get a comprehensive list of the industries that are at a great threat of automation very soon so people can start thinking, like, I'm in a high-risk area. Mm. I should start trying to shift somewhere else or getting prepared to do that.
1: um, There is this awesome chart, and I think that it will seeing it will be far better than how I can describe it. It's made by these uh, two guys, Frey and Osborne. Um, They're part of a think tank, and it's a conjunction – with like a bunch of sites. Uh, And we have a link to it so you can kind of like see the sources and whatever. But it is this graph that shows, and if you're looking at it, Thomas, there's like this full bar, including this black piece, that is the total employment now for that sector. And then you'll notice like a smaller white bar. And that's where they project uh, future employment to be like post-automation. And so if you look like retail salesperson, it's looking like it's getting very close to 5 million would be employed in this sector, and they expect uh, probably 300,000 to be employed as a result, like after the changes come to be, which makes sense because you used to see CVS stores with 10 to 20 people that'd be at the register, they'd be doing I don't know what, and now it's like two to three people can... Well, when
0: I go to Target, it's one person manning six to eight self-registers at this point.
1: Yeah, and... Uh, it's like, uh, I feel like it's like obvious and redundant to say, but we are buying more things online. And so there is less, less need for these mm-hmm. physical locations. Um, well, I don't think, so I don't think
0: that there's, I don't think physical locations to buy things are going to go out of style. In mm-hmm. fact, I've actually been seeing some stuff recently. I can't remember the source, but, oh, it was uh, Patrick Byrne, the CEO of Overstock which obviously he's like super into crypto right now. But one thing he was also saying is that he sees uh, a near future where the brick and click model is actually the best one. And you can look at Amazon. I feel like they have the same feelings because while they're growing their online business, they also just bought Whole Foods. And I think they do see the value in having a physical presence for certain things. What we are going to see though is you're going to see cash registers die because obviously, doesn't Amazon have this grocery store, a or bookstore, or something where you can just pick the stuff up and walk Supposedly out? Supposedly, it's almost and it just done. charges It'll you. Be, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're gonna see. But where check this it's out. Just like the whole idea of point of sale goes away for anything that isn't a coffee that you're ordering or something like that.
1: So, so I think yes, but I think I also think like more um, now and immediate needs. And those will remain. You know, if I need to get a Band-Aid or gauze because I hurt myself or I need to get a tampon or something or or shampoo or whatever, uh, I'm going to go to the store now and get it because it's five minutes away. But if Mm -hmm. I want a quadrocopter or, I don't know, a computer monitor or new shoes, I may just get it online, right? Because it will probably come uh, within a day in the future. But, and not to get like super, tell me.
0: I was just, I was wondering if maybe... I'm unique in this way or maybe you feel the same way. Hmm. I almost feel like Amazon's 2-day shipping has made me very impatient to the point where I would yes. rather actually go out and buy something from the store and and pay a couple bucks extra. Oh really? I don't even want to pay I don't even want to wait the 2 days anymore.
1: So in New York they have 2-hour uh, and same-day delivery. And That's it's true. just that is a thing. starting to come into Hoboken like some items are now offered same day. And I guess the way I feel, it's like I could go do any number of things and lose two hours of my day and then it's arriving already where I, at least in this area, if I was to go to Best Buy to get something, to travel there, buy it and come back, it may be close to two hours for me to do that just because of mass transit and stuff. But Yeah. to not be like super predicting the future. I think that with self-driving cars, one, there will be little to no need for parking lots. Right. You won't also,
0: own a car anymore.
1: Right. Well, people won't own a car and, and we'll, we'll get just, into that. But you'll like call
0: a, a Lyft or an Uber bot car. Yeah. And when you're done with it, it'll go get somebody else. But it'll but be like, out. it's like a more flexible subway.
1: So, so it, it'll literally be like, um, yeah, push button. It'll be like getting on a train. Almost, but it'll I be actually a
0: really like the idea of that. And the mm. reason for this is that one of the things that annoys me the most about America mm. is how spread out our urban areas are because of the need for parking lots. Whereas if you go to really old cities like in Europe where the the core of the city was built before the invention of the car. You can't park a, a lot, car anywhere. You can't park, but it's a lot more walkable.
1: Yeah, Because yeah,
0: yeah. it was built with walkability in mind. And If you have a network of cars that, you know, if a car is not needed, you know, the system uh, detects that, all right, the demand for cars is lower right now. We can send 10% of our fleet, you know, 20 miles away to some underground storage facility that no one, and it can just do it by itself. So you can actually start to reshape cities in a much more walkable fashion. You can have more parks and greenery. So, yes, I actually think it's really cool.
1: But, but so, so yes, I I absolutely think it's going to be a thing. And I want to maybe finish this prediction Okay. That I could be wrong about, but but so so the, the parking lots will be repurposed into office space or living space or parks or whatever because it won't be necessary anymore. So much shopping is moving online, and it'll be more now necessities. But a lot of stuff like you know H and M may exist solely online in the future. You know, you, there mm. there may be advancements in the way that we know how clothes fit us. And, you know, our ability to visualize it that you just wouldn't go to these stores. And so what happen is all of the major uh, suppliers of rent for these commercial spaces is, is largely retail and fast food and stuff like that. And if a lot of this stuff goes away, then the prices come down dramatically because there's more space from the parking lots. You know, H&M is not there anymore. And so I think there'll be a lot more like eclectic shops, but it certainly won't employ a lot of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And I I do remember reading about some stuff where they can 3D scan your body and then basically like custom make clothes for you, stuff like that. I don't know. Personally, I'm the kind of guy that wants to still go to a store and try things on, but that may change in the future.
1: So you had mentioned uh, that like how the metro areas are spread out and stuff because all the you know, parking or whatever, I was looking and there was this New York Times article and it was essentially about like e-commerce and retail and it shows the mass migration to major metropolitan areas mm-hmm. and the mass migration of jobs to major metropolitan areas. Yeah. And and it is basically just showing the trend like um, there was a time where you could live 100 miles from major metropolitan area and make a living doing whatever but in the future when the jobs are even more limited than they are now, like you will essentially need to live in a major, major metropolitan area.
0: Even with the, the greater capability for remote work. Sorry, my, my train of thought is broken because there's somebody like literally yelling in the apartment next to me and I have no clue what's going on.
1: <laughs> I, I guess that, that is a good point. Um, there could be a ton of remote work.
0: Well, my one of my friends just got a remote job. Hmm. Uh, I have no idea what it was like some big comp or big tech company, kind of startup even bigger. And they definitely don't have a presence in Iowa.
1: You know, but he's
0: got a remote job now.
1: There's been an interesting conversation we've had because I, I used to go to an office and now I just sit at home. And I remember I was like, Thomas, like I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I'm just kind of, I was like adrift. And you're like, you gotta get out of the house, and you leave the house every day to go somewhere to work somewhere. Yep. And, uh, and well, I didn't love commuting because like it's so much fun, but there are other people there, and I almost wonder if you know remote work is super valuable and helpful, and in many situations connects disparate talent that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get in the area, but um, perhaps it won't be ubiquitous perhaps it'll stay as a kind of niche thing
0: i mean that might be the case i just all i want to say is i'm not so sure that we're going to get to the point where you can't make a living if you don't live in a major metro area
1: i, I agree but I, agree. I do
0: agree that the trend will probably continue to people moving to major metro areas and and for it to be easier to get a job if you live in one because while there is greater competition, there's also a greater variety of opportunities. Mm. Plus, when you may move to a major metro area, you know, you got your super hipster barista man bun coffee shops all over the place. And it's just, it's very attractive to move to major metro areas, which is why it's happening.
1: And, and why actually, I did it. Interestingly, it won't necessarily be required because, uh, so they say about a third of the cost of like a direct Uh, whether it's like a truck or an Uber or whatever, that cost is for the person. But it also Mm -hmm. doesn't account for all the cost that humans screw up, like the fact that our insurance is so high because we're crashing into things or killing people and whatever. And so they say that um, what will happen essentially is uh, the cost will drop so low that it will just not make any financial sense to own a car. Like, it will just be yeah. like for you to drive your own car because you love driving, whatever, would just be like it would, it, the cost dis, disparateness, whatever, would be so great. It would be like dumb. And mm-hmm. so they're saying completely autonomous capability is going to be from 2018 to 2022, highway, whatever.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at this chart you have in here for the autonomous driving thing.
1: Which one? And the cross. This is your.
0: Yeah, phase three, 2018 to 2022, complete autonomous capability. I think we are very close to there. We just, I I think the laws and the societal perception of how safe it is and our our willingness to accept um, a margin of error on the part of a robot rather than the part of an individual human being who we can point at and be like, that's their fault. Instead Hmm. of saying, oh, it's the system's fault, tear the whole thing down. That will take longer than the actual technology will take to perfect I don't know how long it's going to take for this thing that says here, 100% autonomous penetration, utopian society, which seems (laughs) like a little tongue-in-cheek to me. I don't think we're going to have utopian society. Uh, But I do agree with you. At some point, it seems like we're going to get to the point where it makes no sense to own a car. And for the most part, you aren't going to be allowed to drive a car on the roads. Mm. I mean, you could say, oh, I'm the best driver ever, but it won't actually make any sense because if you had a fully autonomous network of vehicles that could communicate to each other
1: you could fundamentally alter the way that the road system works mm. you wouldn't need stoplights and if a car is having an issue or needs to avoid something or whatever like you said if they're all connected it could have form the cars around it so that like it wouldn't necessarily hit other cars or i don't and know And if
0: they're all connected you can build a car that has A tow hook on the back, like a giant magnetic tow hook and just like, oh, the closest car to it that isn't in use by a person, go grab that car that's broken and take it to a service center. There's no need to send out a tow truck from some centralized point. It can take it to that centralized point. Like you can do so much cool stuff if you have a network of connected vehicles. So I don't think that's going to be, I don't think we're going to be driving cars ourselves. Like I don't think we're going to have the option to drive cars other than on tracks or something it is fun. easy.
1: I feel like it's easy for me to say there's going to be no cars because, you know, I live in New York City and I don't own a car. And if you listen to the show at all, you pretty much know I'm not a fan of cars. Right? <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe it's easy for you to say, I mean, you you drove a car before, you still own a car, but now you're I drive a metro, in a metro area and you're young. But what I think is really compelling is that the CEO of GM said the era of cars is over. Um, he said they're just essentially going to become a commodity uh, where like and a lot of them are just going to disappear because mm-hmm. you don't need 80 varieties of like train cars or, you know, whatever. It's, it doesn't, people won't care anymore. And so I felt like all these uh, CEOs of these car companies have made predictions and I thought it was really interesting pulling them together, GM says self-driving by 2018, Ford by 2021, Honda on the highway 2020, Toyota twenty. and I have this whole list and you could look, but the, there is a consensus across the entire industry that you will not be driving cars after 2020. Yeah. Especially on the highway, maybe still in the city, but...
0: I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, technology can... The pace of technology can... Uh... Can change. Now, I forget mm-hmm. who it was that said this. It may have been William Gibson, um, who said like the future is here already. It's just not well distributed. Mm. So we may see in 2020 major metro areas have uh close to full automation, but you know, your small town in Idaho doesn't. True. You know, it's it's going to take a long time to fully distribute these kind of things. Um, but I I suppose our point to this episode and talking so much about this is just to illustrate how the capability is there and it is starting to crop up at real world uses.
1: Mm. You know, so
0: what okay. I'm, what I want to know. Oh, you mm. had something to say. No, I was no, no to So what I want to know is what can people do individually to prepare themselves for what's happening right now? Because obviously we can say, Oh, we need universal basic income. And we'll debate that in a future episode. But that's a government decision. That's a societal decision. That's huge. Um, You know, random listener who's driving a truck right now maybe can't really do a whole lot with, we need UBI. Like, that doesn't really do much for them. So what can they start doing to prepare themselves and their families and their own finances for the real changes that are happening?
1: So... You know, without like um, being cliche, obviously you need to get your finances in check because if you're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, uh, that that will make you that will put you even an even poorer position when these things happen. I think that if by 2020, you know, like so help you, whatever, robot overlords, God, whatever, whatever you believe in, um, you should be financially uh, secure, like you should be able to come up with like 400 bucks if you need it, and you should be either working to diversify your income away from a sole job that you have now, or potentially learning something to software development, teaching, whatever. Thomas and I are teachers. You can support yourself as a teacher. Something like that. Right, something like that, you know. I
0: always feel uncomfortable calling myself a teacher,
1: an educator. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it. But the the, the point is, there is a lot of alternative things, especially when it comes to the internet, that you can do. Um, and I guess, like the overriding point is, like now is not a good time to be set in your ways. And the worst thing you mm. can do is nothing. Um, and so, the reason we're putting this at the beginning of the year. And I wanted this to kind of like speak for where we're going with the show. Uh, but like you've waited, you've listened, you've learned, maybe didn't take action because it was later. Well, like later's today. Like you just really got to... I mean, what wh- what do you think, Thomas?
0: I have something more specific to say. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, I want to say that it there's almost never a permanent solution to anything. So... I am not going to even attempt to share some sort of idea for a perfect solution to this. Mm-hmm. But what I do want to put out there is this idea that, you know, we always talk about doing something on the internet or doing software development. We often don't consider different career paths out there that may not seem as uh, glamorous, but they actually have a low risk of quick automation in the near future, and they pay pretty well. Um they're just not always the most glitzy and glamorous types of jobs to talk about. So what would you say is the likelihood that we're going to very quickly automate the work of an electrician or the work of a plumber, Mm. you know, or the work of a sheet metal worker or the work of somebody who goes and installs uh, AC and HVAC systems? Like there's a lot of really complicated work that doesn't, get a whole lot of attention from the whole like go to college and be a software developer slash lawyer slash doctor crowd because those are the really high paying glamorous jobs. I mean I've been seeing stuff we've been talking about self-driving cars this entire episode I've been seeing stuff where they're developing uh, like IBM's Watson they're developing a version of Watson that can more accurately diagnose a patient than most doctors can because it just has like this incredible neural network of all these different Diseases that no doctor could ever hold in its head. It can be every specialist all at once, essentially. And know all the start, latest everything. Yeah, that's going to start augmenting the work of doctors pretty soon. Um, mm-hmm. They're also developing versions of narrow AI that can pretty accurately predict the lines of argument that a lawyer is going to use in a case. And it can predict, like, a probabilistic determination of whether this is likely to win the case or not. So, again, you're not going to have Mr. Robo Lawyer in a suit um, arguing his case in the courtroom very soon. But what you are going to have is uh, the work of paralegals and the work of just people doing research at law firms is going to be heavily augmented by Mm. systems that can do this way, way faster because they can just search through a case database with a sorting algorithm much faster than I can dig through some old books. So a lot of these Paragon jobs that we look to as like the ultimate thing to aspire to, those actually have a pretty high... Uh, risk of being automated. Yeah. But again, that backflipping robot, that's pretty impressive, but I don't think that backflipping robot is going to be able to bend down, get under my sink and fix a, an S-pipe or a <laughs> U-pipe very soon. Um, I don't think that backflipping robot is going to be able to wire up a new house to uh, new standards with electrical cables or Ethernet or whatever. So there's all these jobs out there that don't get a whole lot of attention, but they're definitely worth looking into. Um, the education for for being qualified to do these things is actually not that expensive because you can go to a community college. You can go to a tech school. A lot of times you can get an online certification for certain things, uh, especially in it. Mm. And let me tell you a lot of smaller businesses are not going to be able to afford some crazy automated system very soon. They're still going to need an it guy to reset people's passwords, to go hook up new computers, to go remove viruses and stuff. So just, I think this is the thing you need to do. You need to take a hard look at the data, look at the industries that are at a a high risk factor and ask yourself, am I in one of these industries or is my current career path taking me towards one of these industries? If that's correct, or if that is happening, what can I do to start either pivoting or building the potential for a pivot if I need it to happen?
1: I I think that... uh... I mean, I couldn't have said it better. And I, I love your angle where there just are some jobs that people won't be replaced readily. A lot of these also lend themselves to, you know, running your own business where you find the clients, you keep all of your labor. I think that is very appealing. Um, also, ironically, or whatever, um, I'm looking at this graph of jobs that won't be replaced counselors and therapists likely won't be yeah. replaced. And I'm just going to tell you, we're all going to have some serious problems when we all lose our jobs, so maybe you should be a therapist.
0: That's true. I don't want to go talk to Watson about my existential dread. <laughs> he's you not going to get it. Yeah. He's, he's, well, he might get it, but I just don't think his he's going to sound that sincere to me. Mm. You know, But that you have a good point. I mentioned electricians and plumbers and stuff like that, but there are lots of positions out there where Police officers a human-to-human, be... human, yeah, it's conflict resolution. It's yeah. helping people out with their problems. It's being empathetic. And you're gonna, it's very tough to automate empathy. Mm. But there are a lot of professions out there where it is your job to be empathetic, to listen to people. And, and those are help the them two with their problems biggest directly.
1: categories. Nurses, or, or related in there, so essentially caregiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then education. Primary, secondary, high school, advanced. Um, especially when, you know, more information needs to be covered in less time and your way out of, you know, UBI or whatever is more education.
0: Mm -hmm. And I want to go to a bit of a higher level here. Mm. The number one thing you need to do is, is to not let this stuff depress you. Yes. These statistics can be scary. And we can look and say, oh, all the self-driving cars are going to replace the, the biggest job category in the nation. And we're going to have a new Great Depression. But just as the industries that succeed are the ones that grow and innovate and, and utilize new technology, the people that are going to be able to succeed in lieu of all this automation are the ones who have a growth mindset, are the ones who are able to look at the data. They're able to figure out where they need to go. And they're ones that are committed to constantly learning. If you're the kind of person who's like, oh, man, automation is going to kill us all and the robots are just going to enslave us, then you're basically digging your own grave. Mm. Like, I can't sugarcoat the fact that there are going to be casualties to the, the march of progress and to the automation that we're seeing here, just like every period of technological progress has had. But if you put yourself in a position where you're constantly learning and you're willing to adapt and change, you're going to be less likely to be a victim.
1: Mm. you know um, the I, f- I forget the name of the machines and and I mean machine is a light term for what replaced like seamstresses and kind of helped the, the clothing era uh, mm-hmm. when I was doing this research uh, like a loom but, yeah, like stuff like that yeah yeah it, it, no, it's exactly a loom because I imagine a loom as essentially wood and a pedal um back at that time, they viewed this as automation and job killing, and Luddites uh, were revolting and burning and breaking these machines because they were stealing people's jobs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds, and especially if you watch it on YouTube, and then it then also looks ridiculous Um, because, like, we have the the benefit of being in the future, but you like you can't fight against progress, right? Because yeah uh they'll be like a footnote in history like andrew he was really stubborn and destroyed two robots before going to jail <laughs> like or you could you could uh take kind of like you said the growth mindset and that that's really the the onus for this episode is like now is the time now is your time it's a fresh year where i'm like week yep. two you have uh yeah
0: yeah, on a macro level, it's it's really easy to be taken in by the argument that it would be better for us to be like the Luddites and actually just choose not to progress. It would have been better if we just lived our quiet agrarian lifestyles and all that. I mean, there are many problems with that argument. The chief problem being that may be nice for you to do, but somebody else is going to progress, and then they're going to invade you someday. Hmm. That's just how humans work. We're not programmed to be super nice all the time. So... I think the only way forward is to view the automation, view the progress as a reality that's going to happen and it's going to keep accelerating, to be honest, unless something really, really bad happens and hopefully guide it as best we can towards a future where everyone is happy and we don't all become Amazon drones that are mm. picking five things off of a shelf.
1: Or we're and just I jacked the, into Netflix for our warmth. Harvesting yeah, like just the jacked, matrix.
0: Yeah, so one thing is you need to be more active in your community and you need to try to take a more active role in shaping the direction with which we take all this stuff. But more immediately you need to be learning and being adaptable, like we said, so that you are in position to either take advantage of the things that are happening or at least um, not be really harmed by them.
1: You know, and and it's almost like, it's like this weird dual edge sword with technology because it's like, it does all these great things, you know, and and people lose jobs and that will be terrible. But like one of the things is like because of technology, we have Netflix and now I can watch an unlimited, I could literally start now and until my eyes fall out of my head, I could watch an unlimited amount of really high rated, awesome stuff. I could also play a ton of video games, many of which could be downloaded for free on my iPhone. And these are the things that are awesome yet keeping you from like what, what, like mitigating a potential issue like this, losing your job. You need to be able to, um, turn some of these things off and create or learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Take an hour a day. At least you'd be amazed.
0: I'm learning the fundamentals of computer science. I learned about Boolean logic gates the other day. I learned about how quantum computers work. I learned about how uh, superposition works and I learned about certain sort, like sorting algorithms. I never learned this stuff in college. I don't know if I'm ever going to need to use it, but it's really cool to learn something that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, and I guess if they somehow build Robo YouTuber in the future, and I'm mm-hmm. out on the street, well, maybe I have something to pivot to.
1: I'm telling you, Thomas. <laughs> robo, robo YouTuber YouTube. will have a much fuller beard than you do. It
0: <laughs> will. It will be a fake beard, though. <laughs> You know, I, they, it probably won't even be Robo YouTuber. They'll probably just kick me off of YouTube and give more spots to Jimmy Kimmel.
1: <laughs> I know he laughs, laughs at everything. <laughs> the, the the guest comes on, they're like, "Hi, my name is," not Jimmy Kimmel's already like hysterically laughing.
0: Wait, is he? I thought Jimmy Fallon was the one that like laughs way too much.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. It's it is Fallon. Yeah, yeah. I
0: remember my friend Charlie did a video on why Jimmy Fallon seems fake, and, it's and because that, never... that video did really well. Well, it's because he laughs so hard at everything. And Charlie thinks that he is just like that. Mm. He's not necessarily fake. He just is the kind of person who just laughs at everything. Mm. But he does come off as fake to certain people because of that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch enough Jimmy Fallon, which is to say no Jimmy Fallon to know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but there's there's nothing worse than like you have this great joke. You're building up to the punchline and they're laughing before you already got there. So they, they just can't laugh that much at the end. You know, they already use their laugh up.
0: It's not a real joke. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, hopefully the end of this episode has brought things up from the depth of depression because I know we kind of started out with 47% of jobs will disappear in the (laughs) next 25 years. And I do want to consider some of the more societal uh, big solutions and their pros and cons in future episodes. Like we said, universal basic income will be $1. Uh, I got some research to do because I have no idea where exactly I stand on that. Um, so we'll we'll hash it out. And I mean, I will say when we get into topics like that, there's no way that we're going to be the people with the right answers at all.
1: Mm. We're just going you know? to find all the people with the right answers and bring them on or just quote their ideas.
0: There you go. Um, Jordan Peterson had a pretty good perspective on universal basic income. I think he was on the Joe Rogan show. So, it, that kind of tempered my initial, my initial thoughts on it.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't know. We'll hash it out more in the next episode. Yeah, and look before I like, like turn this into that.
1: We're we're at the very beginning of the year, uh, super motivated to like create like more and better, and just kind of elevate what we've been doing. This year's goal is to get you to this whatever the future of work is. With we're going to bring in a lot of like tactics to fix whether you're in debt. or or getting started investing. Uh, They're going to be meaty. Um, Lots of meat. (laughs) Lots of meat. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) This podcast is
0: not going vegan this year.
1: That's right. (laughs) That would be an environmental disaster.
0: There you go. Yeah. I was reading some stuff about uh, the environmental impact of different diets. Mm. That stuff's pretty interesting to look up. But anyway, y'all can Google that. I think we're going to close this episode out before it ends up being like four hours long. (laughs) So anyway, if you guys have questions about the uh, nature of our robot overlords or about how to get out of debt or how to start investing or whatever it may be, you can always email us. Our email address is listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. So check that out. Send us your questions. Send us your catchphrases for the beginning of the show. And uh, if you want to find our favorite resources, for improving your personal finances and learning more we have a big list of books over at our toolbox as well as all of those tools we like and that's listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox so check out those resources check out the show notes for this page or this episode at listenmoneymatters.com show we'll have all those cool charts and graphs as andrew likes to say sexy graphs lots of sexy graphs at those show notes check those out and as always thanks so much for listening we'll see you Later, man. Later, dude.
1: Please tell your friends about this show.